Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran, and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia, and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This live stream is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the best-known and trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. To be inspired and easily create and maintain your garden, head to lovethegarden.com. Hello, welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to be back with you. It is a Tuesday morning because yesterday was a public holiday over here in Western Australia. Now, we've got a fantastic program for you today. It is packed full of great advice, your chance to ask your questions. We'll also so show you how to turn your garden waste into gold. And there's a really important reason for that because uh, whether you've had it too wet or you've had it too dry, there's something we should all be doing, and that's mulching. I'll talk to you the easiest way to recycle garden waste, which is something we should be looking at doing. Uh, David Van Berkel will join us again today. Now, my mate David has probably got his his business brand reputation attached to one particular flower, I reckon, or maybe two. It's either the daffodil or the tulip, but either way, um, Garden Express are the kings when it comes to that. I've asked David to come up with a very special daffodil offer for you today. We'll talk about those a bit later on. A long, long time ago, once upon a time, 20 years ago, the Garden Guru started here in Perth, Western Australia. Now, it was a interesting uh, start for us because we were right in the midst of a garden television program boom. There were programs left, right and centre, Burke's Backyard, um, there was um, Ground Force, there was uh, Backyard Blitz, there was Domestic Blitz, they, they were everywhere. Um, today, 20 years down the line, uh, they're not as common. But the reason we managed to get started here in the West was because of a little West Australian gardening company called Bailey's. They've been around for several generations. And a bit later in today's show, we're going to catch up with Jen Bailey. Not so much to talk about the history, but more so uh, to talk with regards to innovation. And when we got started, it was Jen's dad, Kim, that uh, really got behind us and gave us the support that we needed to be able to produce a program and, and start something and prove that we were, were worthy of being able to share our advice. One of the things that was great about Bailey's was the innovation in their product, particularly the moment in time when there was severe drought, a 30-year declining rainfall pattern in, in Western Australia, and they were leading the way when it came to innovation. Well, they continue to do so. We'll talk to Jen about what that looks like today, uh, a bit later on. I've got my plan of the week, and as usual, I couldn't help myself. I've got two. Um, but I'll show you uh, one that brings beautiful perfume into the evening and another that's just delicious this time of the year. Of course, we're answering your gardening questions. We've got prizes for you. Don't forget, really important considering the massive challenges we're seeing all over the country with regards to weather conditions. Some states completely and utterly saturated, other states incredibly dry. It does make a big difference. So tell us what state, what city, 
even what suburb you're in, it really helps. And of course, don't forget, share this with your friends. Hit the like button. It really helps us and it helps your friends all come together. And we make this wonderful community, which is what makes this what would normally be a Monday morning so special. Tuesday morning, here we are. Let me just get into some questions that have been sent in over the last week. Remember, you can via email or via our messenger um, side of things, send us uh, pictures of your garden or your garden problem. It does really help. Now, this is uh, Marta in Ipswich in Queensland. Now, Marta said that uh, she and her husband live there. They've got three types of grass in their backyard. You can see them actually in these photographs, right? And she's wondering which one would be recommended and how we can make our yard so there's just one type of grass. Well, the thing is, Marta, if you wanted to reduce that down to one particular type of grass, and you can see you've got a, uh, a broad leaf, a fine leaf, and what I would suggest is probably um, either a perennial rye or even a nut grass going through. The only way to, to narrow it down is to mow low and mow regularly, and I mean two or three times a week. What's going to happen is the dominant grass variety is going to take over. It's just how Mother Nature works her way out. The strongest will always be the, the ultimate survivor. That could take a year or two of work. If you just want one grass variety, the other option is to dig all that grass out and replant a single grass variety. I would suggest I would let Mother Nature do her own thing and I would let it flow that way. I, I tend to think that's the best way to go. Okay, um, Doreen in Victoria. Hello, Doreen. I planted nine desert road seeds on the 1st of Feb in 21. Now, there are four that have taken are doing well. They're about 10 centimetres high. It's about that big. Um, but I know nothing about how to look after them in Melbourne through the winter. Last winter, they lived in the kitchen. Can I keep them outside as they're a little bit bigger? How fast do they grow? And when do they flower? They flower through the summer months. I've just been up in the north of Western Australia in Broome and the desert rows up there are amazing. They really are beautiful. Um, this is a member of the same family of plants as Diplodenias, Mandevillias, Oleanders and also um, Frangipanis. So the Apocanaceae family, you can see the similarity in the flower, beautiful flowers, but with almost like a boab kind of sort of shaped trunk to them. They have this brilliant ability to absorb moisture. And that's the key with regards to treatment in cold weather. They will get through winter quite well, but you have to keep them dry. And ideally in a north facing window, so they've got a bit of warmth. Um, if they get too wet, if they get too cold, they could develop rot, they will drop their foliage and they could die. So my suggestion is the kitchen window is probably the perfect spot for them. If you can do one more year indoors, um, that will allow them to establish properly and you should go from there. And congratulations, because it's not an easy thing to grow. And when you grow things from seed, you get variation. And that variation could amount to all sorts of different colours, shapes and sizes in the flowers and even in the plants. So, um, yeah, well done. Albert is over here in WA in East Cannington. Hello, Albert. Regarding my azalea and camellia garden bed, I suspect the issue was not only extreme summer heat wave, but also soil pH as well. Now, you've examined the soil and you came back with an 8.5 to 9 pH, way too alkaline for them. How can I fix the soil to accommodate these alleys and camellias in the garden bed? Should I dig out a massive hole and replace the soil with acidic potting mix? Should I fix the soil structure instead using compost, manure, or sulphur? What's the ratio of mix to the soil? This is a really complex question you're asking. I'll tell you how I'd go about it. 
Okay, the first thing you're going to need to do is buffer the pH and that's what by adding, okay, you can see we've got the pH chart there. So you can see the increasing alkalinity is over seven. So seven's a neutral and as it gets, gets more alkaline, nine is really alkaline, those plants will really struggle to survive in it. And the first sign you'll see of that is, um, thanks for flipping that around guys. Um, the first sign you'll see of that is that you tend to see the leaves start sort of getting uh, a light green color, dark green veins. Sometimes it's just a, a very chlorotic sort of look, which is that yellowish color of the foliage. The solution really is to try and convert the pH. And that's where you come by feeding with something like, and this is a suggestion, but sulfate of potash and encourages flour applying it now for any flowering plant particularly one that flowers for the winter is going to be very good except for natives i should put my um, precursor up there you don't want any of the banksias or any of the the members of um of the that particular family the proteaceae family getting that because they don't like it but the rest of the plants it encourages really good flowering it also acidifies the soil and if you keep applying that you are going to chemically change the surface of the soil where the majority of the roots sit in to being more acidic. And that's really the goal. You can cheat it a little bit by punching some holes in with a hollow pipe, pulling it out, putting some little holes into the ground that go down about 200 mil and then applying some straight into there and will create a deeper, um, a deeper reach into the soil to acidify that soil. Um, changing the soil altogether is pretty dramatic and probably the soil's that pH, it suggests that all soil in that area is of a similar pH level. Everybody know what pH stands for, by the way? I'm looking around, I'm looking at Jimmy, I'm looking at Robin. No. Mm, no? What about you guys? Does anybody know what pH? We've got a prize for somebody who comes up with that, okay? Tell me what pH stands for. Really interesting. No. And it's probably better that, uh, <laughs> that Robin and Jimmy just concentrate on what they're really good at because they are really good at producing this show. Uh, we'll keep rolling on. We've got some photographs still coming through, which is great. Catherine in Perth. Hi, guys. Glad you're back on TV. We have a problem with our lawn. We were flooded last winter, remained underwater for three months. See attached photos. Let's have a look at this. Okay. Do you reckon we get a photo up on my screen as well? because I can't quite see it, but I'm, oh, wow, you were really flooded. Okay, so you've got a Kai Kyu type lawn as well, which should bounce back, but if it's if it's flooded for three months, and this is a great uh, bit of advice for anybody at the moment in uh, northern New South Wales, even even in Sydney, the, the level of flooding now is quite bad and is continuing to be so, um, and certainly Queensland. This, this can be devastating. You can see there where um, basically, the, the grass has been smothered out. Really, the only thing you can do here is, is re-sow grass seed back into this spot. Thanks, guys, for putting that photograph up for me, um, is to, to re-sow that. So um, that's my suggestion. And if you're going to do it, you really have a two-month to three-month window. Um, to be honest, really, it's the next two months that you want to get your, your roll-on turf down or, or your seed turf down. Nev just did a great story on the Garden Gurus about... Um, seeding lawn and, and now's the great time to be tackling it. Uh, the only thing you're going to have to make sure is that you do have moisture getting into that soil. I hope that helps. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a challenge there, Catherine. Uh, Vicky's in New South Wales. Um, let's have a look here. We've got another photograph. I've got an ongoing problem. Uh, it's a spot on my place with my dad's hibiscus. 
who passed and, and obviously this plant's very dear to you. Uh, they're all planted in 1980. It's the only double flower ones that I'm having trouble with. We thought it was collarot, so dug it up and dried it out a fair bit, put in some new soil, changed the soil. The one I've potted up looks dead. Even the new cuttings are looking dead. I'm, were we able to get a photograph up here as well for me to have a bit of a look at? And um, I, I can suggest to you right up front that it does look like it is too wet. And um, hibiscus, particularly the Hawaiian varieties, so those are the ones with those tend to be large, single, but sometimes quite complex double flowers or semi-doubles. And, um, yeah, they, they do not like um, really, really wet feet. And, and I think that that's what you've got here. Solution, uh, you can punch some holes in the ground with a hollow tube, like I suggested before, in around the outside of them and fill those holes with a very porous rock mineral. It's absolutely brilliant. It's called zeolite and it tends to absorb um, uh, minerals uh, in, the, in the soil and hold them in around the roots. Um, but it does allow for, for the soil to be aerated. And, um, and that's probably what they need. It looks to me like they're just a bit too wet and I don't really have a solution outside of that. You can also put some gypsum into the soil to open it up a little bit. Um, Vicky, hopefully that will um, help you. Vicky's also sent in another question. Um, also, any idea what these are? They're everywhere through my garden. And again, we're just going to have a look here because I'm looking at the question. Oh, okay. Well, those are, that's the ladybird larvae. Um, the cuts into the plant look like it's, it's um, I would think that that is the leaf cutter bee doing that damage. And it looks like it is a kaffir lime. But those little, little um, larvae that you're looking at, they're all going to turn into ladybirds. So don't do anything to get rid of them. They're there because there's been some kind of outbreak of pests. And um, the, the mums have been in there, laid their eggs. The babies are now hatching. They're about to go into that... Um, into that stage where they will be um, eating a lot of the pests as well. So, yeah, nothing wrong there. Leave it as it is. That's good. Okay, shall we keep rolling on? We have got lots of questions coming through. Rosanna on YouTube, could I please get some advice on how to care for my elkhorn? Elkhorns are really interesting. One of the old-fashioned tricks with elkhorns, just to let you know they are a fern, is that they would normally grow in the forks of trees uh, and normally in high humidity, subtropical locations. They can get through a long period of time with dry during the dry season, usually in that environment. Um, but as a general comment, they do like to be kept moist. And the more moist you keep them, the more they tend to multiply. When it comes to feeding them, applying um, a, a liquid fertiliser and something like fish emulsion is a great way to go. You can also stuff the back. It's kind of like a mulching technique with, um, with banana um, skins and putting that in um, boosts the, the level of phosphorus for them, which they love, and it really does encourage them to grow bigger. So, Rosanna, I hope that helps. King is a great supporter of ours here in WA in Waterford. Um, is it a good time to vertimo my cooch lawn? Well, just at the moment, we're still getting mid-30 um, temperatures here in WA. We are going into the autumn, but I'm going to suggest, King, that you wait until the end of March probably the best time last week, then I would vertimo. I think that's probably the best time to do it. Still, we are going to talk about Still. Now, Still have been a big supporter of the Garden Gurus. Part of the reason we're able to bring our program to air each week is because this leader 
in the garden care category um, has backed us. And it's lovely to work with such a high quality, high end product. Now, when we talk about gardening, we really do want everything to be as organic and natural as possible. Um, in the past, doing things like burning leaves, leaf litter and branches and stuff was a bit of a standard practice, but it was such a waste of really good, valuable compost. And just at the moment in my garden, I have had my electric still GHE150. It's a electric shredder. Um, literally, you plug it in. And we have been cutting back a lot of my fruit trees, a lot of my deciduous fruit trees. So any of those long leaders that are going up um, have all been getting lopped off and uh, just bringing some plants back into shape. So with lots and lots of growth over the summer, they start to get a bit leggy and a little bit um, unsightly. So we've been doing that. But instead of wasting all that great organic carbon, which when you put it into the soil does so much good, I've been putting it through the shredder. Now, um, just to give you an idea, it, it, this is a, a pretty interesting machine. It shreds branches um, from hedges or anything into tiny little, basically chipping, so chips it, I suppose. Um, now it's got a sandwich style blade. Um, it's a really interesting way it goes. And it, it literally, um, it almost just, you can see it here, just literally chops it up into tiny little pieces. Now, this is a really powerful motor as well. So you can put some quite decent sized material through there. And then you end up with a situation where you've basically got a clover leaf exit. So this shape of the clover leaf um, allows for easier flow. So you're not getting blocking like a lot of shredders would typically do. Um, the other thing, of course, is that when you're taking any of those, um, those bigger woodier bits, it can actually take <clears throat> take those and um, the ability to, to move this around the garden to where you're actually doing the pruning in preference to having to take all your prunings to another location is also quite handy. Now, what I do with it all is I literally put it straight back onto the, the top of the garden beds underneath the base of either the trees or shrubs I've been pruning so that all the fertiliser and all the water and all the goodness that those plants that I've, I've been giving to those plants to get them looking good is not lost. It's literally a, a, a closed cycle loop it's literally going back into the soil. This is really important. So <clears throat> I wanted to, to mention it. Um, it can actually shred up to 35 millimetres. It's quite a decent size um, branch that you can put through. But all of this material, once you put it down, um, is so valuable to earthworms and to the health of your soil, particularly this time of the year. Um, for those people who are obviously um, in clean-up mode now in, in uh in Queensland and, and certainly northern New South Wales, you're still copying it in southern New South Wales. Um, those people who are cutting back branches and everything else, by throwing this compost on top of the soil, you will really stimulate your, your garden to bounce back from what's been a pretty big shock when it's so saturated. So this is a, another way of, I suppose, improving the quality of your soil and helping it. But if you're in hot, dry conditions like Melbourne has had and, and certainly Adelaide and Perth, you know, have had some really hot days. This is a great chance for you to be able to, um, I suppose, hold moisture into the soil. So in Perth, we've had very little rain for over two months. And through that period of time, you're trying to get the, the moisture back into the soil. When you're laying a nice layer of this shredded material over the top of the, of the soil, you're holding the moisture in. It allows all those microbes to be more active, all those beneficial microbes and, and all those beneficial um, soil organisms like earthworms, for example, are able to survive and 
literally break down that organics, convert it into nutrient that's available to the plant. So within a month or so, you'll start to see an immediate improvement in the health of the plants in your garden bed. You'll see better growth. And we've just got this pocket, this window of opportunity for the next two months or so where it is the best time of the year for gardening. There's so much to do and so many things that you can be really successful with if you just get your soil right. And mulching and composting, two best ways to do it. If you've got a huge amount of compost, I'll give you one more little tip. If you've got a huge amount of compost from your shredding process, put it all together in a big pile. So you have your compost heap and then in layers, lay down some um, some urea. Now this urea is going to speed up the composting process. You'll literally see as soon as the rains come in and as soon as you get some moisture in there, you will see um, literally steam rising out of this. Now the steam is because the microbes are chewing up all that organic matter and converting it into a fully composted soil. That'll just be fantastic for new garden beds and you can see me laying out some of the compost there at my place. I use this all the time. It's such a valuable resource and now's the time to do something about it. And if you are going to shred it, which you should do because it speeds up the composting process so much, GHE150, it's from Still. You need to pop into your local Still dealer. Now they are the guys that, um, that know this stuff inside out. They can talk to you about um, what it is that you're trying to do, show you the right model. The GHE might not be suitable for your property. They might suggest something else, but you will get all the advice because these guys are the experts and you will have one nearby. So make sure you check out their website uh, for more information. All right, there's my little soil composting rant for this morning. Thank you for uh, persevering with me. And again, just go back, thanks to Still for their support. Another great supporter of, of us and what we do here on a Monday, in this case, Tuesday morning, um, is the guys from Garden Express. They are amazing. Rowan and David Van Burkle, um, both work so hard each week to make sure that we've got some really good special offer. Good morning, David. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm really good, Trevor. And uh, yourself and the team? We are, we're fantastic. We've just come off a really lovely weekend. Um, weather's been a lot milder than what we've been going through. I think we're still in the mid-30s, but it just feels like the season's changed. And you'll be a few weeks ahead of us with that that sense that autumn's here, won't you? Absolutely. Look, last week there was still a couple of hot days, but um, yeah, from, from the weekend or just before, the, the mornings are already cooler. And, and as you say, for us, it's mid-20s now, not, not the 30s. But um, yeah, beautiful during the day, but that, that summer heat is gone and it really does feel like the new season is upon us. So uh, good times to be had. Good times to be had because this is the time that you start looking at planting out your spring flowering bulbs. How many people look at spring flowering bulbs, those paddocks full of daffodils and tulips and hyacinths and go, oh, I want to plant some now. And, and you have to say, no, no, you don't do it now. You do it in the autumn. Well, we're here. Now's the time to do it, right? Yeah, now's the time to do it. Actually, I just had that conversation with somebody yesterday about, um, you know, you look at the daffodils, a daffodil day, you know, a great promotional campaign and obviously springing off the um, uh, the Cancer Council's um, promotion uh, but then they ring us up and they go oh, I want to buy those daffodils and you can't ship it in a pot because the flowers are just going to break and it's going to be horrible yeah. yeah it is a mismatch of when people see it and when you can when you can do it but absolutely David, coming up to the time to plant Trevor it is coming up to the time to plant you know I, I was about to say to you I think it's um 
I think it's one of those things about us gardeners. You know, we most people don't realise it, but when you become somebody who who really understands how gardens work and and that those people are very visionary. They have the ability to look forward six, 12 months and the ability to see beauty well before it's even put down. It's, it is a skill set. It's, it's something that you learn um, with time through, through vision and through understanding and general knowledge. But one of the great things about Garden Express is that you don't have to necessarily be that garden expert. If, if they're, they're visiting your website on a regular basis, you are prompting all the time the things that should be going in at that time of the year, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think, you know, further to that experience that we have, not every gardener has that type of experience of, you know, to prune a rose back as hard as you and I would prune it. And, you know, yep. the dormant seasons for your fruit trees and your roses and, and your flower bulbs. So it can be a bit confusing when, on the other hand, you've got lots of beautiful shrubs that you can plant all year round or go from, from blooming to, to greenery and then back to blooming again. So um, dormant things are a little bit tricky for gardens. Yeah, and look, you know, there, there is no doubt that, that spring flowering bulbs really are one of the absolute highlights of the gardening calendar each year. If you do displays, and I think um, one of the things that a lot of people do is they'll do a few. You know, they might buy five or ten bulbs or something like that. And generally, they're pretty happy with that, but it's a fairly short season. But if you buy 50 or 100 and you, you do a big patch of them, a big area, um, or you run a sway through a garden bed, you know, like a big line of them coming through, um, they'll flower for a lot longer for a start. But two, the visual impact is amazing. It, yeah, this is the thing. And, and on that, yesterday I drove past a place and they had a big line of naked ladies and it was... Mm. Uh, the belladonnas, they're popping up everywhere. Beautiful, just the single stem with the with the beautiful, you know, pink flowers. There's, uh, yep. there's some black ones and, you know, just astonishing the way they just pop up without any sort of warning. Three days, bang, blooms, wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. And we're, I, we're, we're a little bit behind you with them. They 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 have kind of actually been in flower here, but typically that that is something that I always associate with Easter, the, the naked lady. It's a, it's a fantastic one, but, of course, Now's not the time to be planting it. Now's the time to be putting daffodils in, right? This is correct. This is correct. So we'll get back to we'll get back on topic. Right? <laughs> At Garden Express, we've got this offer of uh, of fifty daffodils. So we've got twenty five golden yellow trumpet daffodils and yep. then twenty five mixed daffodils put together as a combo with our bulb planting tool, as you can see on screen, which is just a really easy way. To, uh, to get the soil out of the way, the right depth for your daffodil bulbs. Yeah, actually that, those planters are sensational. They take all the hard work out of it. And there is, a, there is a rule when it comes to planting, right? So what's the rule, David? Well, the rule is generally to plant the bulb uh, as, as deep as the height of the bulb. But in your climate and in hotter climates, we tend to suggest to go a little bit deeper. So yep. for me, all bulbs between 10 and 20 centimetres is the right depth. Um, to, to give it the coolness in the heat of summer, uh, but also not too deep that they, you know, that they won't spring up come springtime. Yeah, I think you told me a long, long time ago, you gave me a little rule that stuck in my head, and that was always plant the, to the depth that's twice the width of the bulb. So uh, turn the bulb sideways, work it being double that, and typically with the bulbs that I get from you, 
Um, they're around five centimetres across, so it's about a 10 centimetre sort of depth, which is actually the full depth of the bowl planter. So push it into the ground, take that out, pop them in the bottom, squeeze squeeze the trigger on it and it lets us all back in. It's never been easier, right? And that, exactly, exactly. And then with the smaller bulbs, you know, a lot of the South African-based bulbs, um, we call them throw and grow because you can literally throw them on the surface and with a bit of leaf mulch, they'll throw their roots into the ground and literally grow there and multiply around at surface level. So not all of them need to be that deep, but you kind of can't kill those hardier bulbs as well. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So this it's, is... It's the daffs and the, the tulips, isn't it? Those, those ones that you just want to make sure you get that right because the difference is when it comes to the flower display later on, and we're talking, you know, midway through sort of winter and into spring, um, the, the results are sensational. But the trick is you actually have to plant now. Yes, that's that's true, Trevor. Now is the time. So um, Easter is the moon. fast approaching. And um, we're into March, so we're, we're at the back end of that really um, – uh, hot temperatures, as you said, even over your way, it's starting to cool down. Um, yep. So yeah, getting really ready to uh, to stick them in the ground. Let's go. Okay, so let's talk about a deal. You got twenty five yellow trumpet, twenty five mixed. What and a, and a bonus bowl planter? What sort of deal can you do for our listeners today? Um, I'm I'm glaring at Rowan again. We're at thirty six dollars, fifty percent off, Trevor and. It's a little bit strange to look at that because I know that we cannot acquire another daffodil from our paddocks. Um, all daffodils are sold for the season, um, except wow. the ones we've reserved for this offer. Our freezers are almost gone for the season. Spring wow. flowering are selling like crazy, and and there is a limited supply this year, Trevor. Now is the time to get in, David. For people to be able to take up this special offer, what do they do? They go online? to gardenexpress.com.au and we've got a nice banner there slashing the daffodil combo with the bowl planter. All right, check it out. And look, while you're there, look at everything that's on the website. There are so, I was actually, uh, I was doing a little bit of armchair surf. We had a long weekend here uh, over the weekend and I was busy on the, the Saturday and the Sunday, but Monday was kind of the first chance I've had just to sit back and relax. And I kind of pulled my phone out, which uh, my kids say, Dad, you shouldn't be on your phone all the time. And normally I can say I was at work. This was all pleasure. I was just going through the website. Gee, you've got a lot of cool plants on there at the moment, mate. Yeah, there's some crazy things that the team are doing, you know, and this is uh, getting a little bit beyond me. And um, uh, the family here are just going crazy with their resourcing of some beautiful, exquisite plants. And as you saw a couple of weeks ago with the Fritillaria, um, we've got some yeah. legendary stuff coming through, uh, and I'm about to visit a, a lovely lady tonight. She's in her in her late seventies, and she's going to um, throw open her collection to me of some other rare and wonderful things that I can continue on with. So awesome, awesome! Hey, listen, I've got a question coming for you. This is from Never Lost for Words um, via YouTube. Should we pull out fading annuals to plant these bulbs? And how do we know if the spring flowering bulbs? have died off over the summer when stored as it was such a hot summer in Melbourne? Well, you'll know that the, uh, that the bulbs have died off. Your, your foliage just will disappear and simply be gone. And if you've got annuals in there, um, even if they're fading, if there's still a little bit of colour, you can you can leave them and your yep. spring bulbs will just push through uh, to come up. So um, you probably 
won't see too much action on your spring bulbs until the, the latter part of June or into July. You'll start to see them popping through. But if you've got well-drained soil and you've planted reasonably deep, the summer won't have affected them. Uh, and the worst the summer will do, particularly in Victoria, is um, to damage the flower that's stored within the bulb. So if your yeah. bulb is shallow and you have really hot baking soil, and I'm talking your soil temperature getting into the 40s, so not a 40-degree day, but consistent yeah. 40 degrees, you can kind of cook the flower and have a deformed flower. So there's only probably been three years in my lifetime where, where our fields have suffered and you can actually see like a lack of daffodils flowering because we yep. had too long and prolonged hot summer. Um, but that's how rare it is that it happens. Uh, yep. This a, a warm summer, but there's plenty of moisture to keep the soil cool as well. David, I, I've got, um, you know, I've, I think I've got this message from you pretty consistently now, and that is that if you're in one of the hottest states, and, and Melbourne has been getting those long, hot, dry summers, so I'd, I'd count Melbourne certainly down on, on the lower lands anyway, not up in, in the mountains, but um, definitely plant plant them a bit deeper. Adelaide, plant them a bit deeper. Perth, plant them a bit deeper. If yeah. um, if, you're, if you're up in, uh, you know, in some of that higher country, you're probably a little, you know, going to be okay with a little bit of um, uh, sort of shallow planting. But, yeah, it's... It really is an important message, mate, and, and it does make the world a difference because I do know that in the warmer states that when we're getting asked questions about, oh, why did my, my daffs not flower, um, that more often than not it's probably because they were cooked with that sort of late burst of, of heat that we can often get in March. So um, if you're going to put them in now, plant them a bit deeper is the key message here, right? Yeah, exactly. Look at all of the bulbs that we sell, you know, they're, they're growing in those perfect climates. they the hills where I live, you know, was was a massive traditional place to grow tulips and hyacinths, and a lot of those growers have since moved their crop growing to Tasmania, especially for the cut flowers, because they yeah. just have a lower temperature summer. So all, all of our bulbs are grown in the right conditions to flower for you. So you can easily go and put our bulbs into into pots, enjoy that spring bloom, um, but you then must put that pot in a nice cool spot or plant it into the garden so that bulb can regenerate over the next year to reform good flowers and, and make some babies. Awesome, mate. You, look, you guys, you you nail it every week. This is a pretty impressive deal. Um, to, to look at this in context, 25 pack of yellow daffodils, 25 pack of mixed daffodils, that's 50 bulbs plus the bulb planter for just 36 bucks. It's 50% off the $72 price. Great deal. It's obviously not going to last very long. You've already given us a hint that um, most of the, the DAFs have sold out for the season. Now's the time to get in. Gardenexpress.com.au. David Van Berkel, you've done it again. Sounds great. Angry face, Rowan's way. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll, um, mate, I'll see, you, uh, see you at the end of the month. We're heading towards the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. Can't wait to catch up with you when I'm over there. Well, we're about to build the Melbourne Flower and Garden Show. We went and saw the site on Friday and it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. We've uh, not been able to do it for a couple of years, so I'm refreshed and ready to go. Yeah, I can't wait to get back over and catch up with you. We'll, uh, we'll have a nice cold one. I'll see you next week, nevertheless. Indeed. Cheers, Trevor. This show is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. 
They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Okay, we've got lots of questions coming through. They're flying, flying through thick and fast, left, right and centre. Tyson, good old mate of ours in Victoria. Can I please plant my beetroot seeds in my garden bed? Please give me some tips and advice. Shallow, Tyson, run them in little rows. Sell them. They're, they're quite a large seed, those beetroot seeds. So just spread them across the top and then scratch over. What I often do is I'll just use the end of the, the actual handle of a hoe and run a line, scatter my seeds in that line, then I'll just scratch back over the surface a very small amount and water it straight away. And they will take off and it doesn't take long for beetroot to be ready to pick. So I, if I'm guilty of anything at home, I don't sow them regularly enough because we use beetroot all the time. It is such a such a great thing to enjoy. Uh, Kathy's in Adelaide. Hello, Kathy. Um, What's the best product to start to get rid of weeds in Santa Ana Cooch? There are more weeds than lawn. Well, I'm going to give you two tips. The first thing is if you want to avoid applying chemicals, uh, so in this case herbicide, um, the simplest way to do it is to mow regularly. And with Santa Ana, it loves being mowed on a regular basis. If you mow it twice a week, you'll probably wipe out about 80% of, of your weeds, certainly all your broadleafs will all disappear. Some of those fine leaf weeds can be a little bit of a problem. And that's where you can use a weed and feed. Now, this is where you're gonna use a weed and feed for fine leaf. So not the buffalo version, but a fine leaf version. That's the standard traditional weed and feed. But I wouldn't do it just yet. I'd leave it for about another month. I'd get mowing twice a week, every week. Um, you will find that it will probably maybe do a little bit of scalping on the first mow. That's not a bad thing. Second mow, um, you'll start to see better spread. Third mow, you'll start to see it start to smother out a lot of the weeds that are in there. And um, yeah, it'll do most, you know, should clean out most of those weeds. Um, thanks, Kathy. There's so many questions coming through. Joy is in New South Wales. Hello, Joy, a photo is attached. Let's have a look at that photograph. My camellias, um, let's have a look. Uh, I've fed them and mulched them but I've got a couple of the leaves, they don't look right. Can you please help? Let's have a look at Joy's photograph. And you definitely have a problem there. And I suspect it's something like what we had uh, a discussion about earlier on today. This looks chlorotic, okay? The leaf on the, on the top left-hand side actually looks like it's got uh, a burn to it, but the other two look chlorotic. Now, chlorotic um, symptoms can be caused by pH, which we talked about. Um, it can be just a general lack of mineral nutrients and applying those nutrients now is going to be a good thing. I would definitely do a pH test. Um, the other thing that, that that could do, and it's the it's the it's that leaf on the top left-hand side that has me most concerned is they don't like being overly saturated and sometimes you can get that kind of effect on a leaf and I wonder whether that might be part of the problem, Joy. Um, are they... Are they getting too much water? Uh, we know how much rain you've been getting in New South Wales. Um, sometimes you can get that effect. My suggestion is use a, a high quality uh, camellia and azalea fertilizer. Really, really will make a big difference to it. Um, and feeding them regularly now, you don't want to overfeed them. 
but feeding them small amounts on a regular basis makes the world of difference to their performance. If you feed them too much, and you need to be aware of this, often that'll force um, growth instead of flower. So a lot of people, if they feed heavy this time of the year, end up with a lot of growth during the winter, but not a lot of flowers. So small amounts on a regular basis, always follow the instructions because the companies behind these fertilizers, the level of science that goes into a bag of fertilizer would blow most people's minds. They just wouldn't believe how much research is done to make sure that it's right. And a lot of that research is actually done originally for professional growers, whether it be, you know, in the case of turf, whether it be, uh, you know, turf uh, farms or alternative, alternatively green keepers, or in the case of plants, professional nurserymen, or even botanical gardens. And the companies that produce these have science labs. They, they do trials on an ongoing basis. They have to constantly source their, their, their base products, their raw products from locations where, um, where it's environmentally friendly, but, but it also performs. And there's no better example of a company that does that than a West Australian company called Bailey's. Now, I mentioned to you at the beginning of the show that Bailey's were instrumental to the garden gurus getting up right in the beginning. It was a guy named Kim Bailey who sort of backed Neville and I and said, look, I'll get in behind you, along with West Australia's Water Corporation. And it was a really important time for us over here in the West at the time because we were experiencing 30 years of drought, effectively declining rainfall over a 30-year period. But we were particularly, um, particularly harsh conditions. And Bailey's with this multi-generational company that um, had, I suppose, lived and breathed the West Australian environment, so understood it better than pretty much anybody else out there and developed their products to service the market the right way. And when I was a young young bloke growing up, my grandfather was a dairy farmer, and important part of dairy farming is growing your crops. Well, a young bloke named Kim Bailey would turn up on a big truck with a whole bunch of superphosphate on the back and then we'd go around on the tractor and, and literally spread it out in the fields. Um, that, was, that was the level of commitment that Bailey's had back in those days. They were servicing farmers and food producers, as well as then developing product for nurseries before actually then servicing the home garden market. And I am so pleased this morning to have Jen Bailey join us, who's Kim's daughter, who's the general manager. Good morning, Jen, how are you? Morning, Trevor, I'm good, how are you going? Yeah, good. Sorry for the big build-up, but there's such a big story. I, I, even you know, later on, I became a, an apprentice horticulturalist. I was at the city of Canning, and once or twice a year, I would travel around in the truck with uh, one of your truck drivers, and we would go and deliver all the fertiliser to all the parks because it was the fertiliser that the professionals relied on, and it still is today. And you guys continue to develop and innovate even all these generations down the line. Yeah, that's true. Well, definitely, uh, yeah, a long history with Bailey's. I'm fourth generation, uh, so we've been around, well, we say 1926, but we actually found a photo a little while ago that had 1916 on the back of it. So wow. we chipped ourselves of 10 years there somehow. Yeah. Why you, gonna... need to, you need to document things well. Regardless, well, it's a long time ago, regardless of how you look at it, you, 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 you're 100 one way or the other pretty soon. Yes, we'll definitely have, well, we either, we either missed our centenary or we're, we've got to celebrate it coming up. Yeah, so yeah. I think we'll go so back to 1926 so that we can celebrate it. <laughs> Jen, tell me about Bailey's, the company today. You you guys are continuing to innovate. 
Uh, I mentioned before about the amount of science that goes into garden products and very few people would realise that you, you and I are working on a, a project at the moment where um, the Garden Gurus is going to be building a farm on top of a major hotel in the centre of the city of Perth. Um, mm -hmm. Just to do that, we had to develop a special type of soil. The, the amount of research work you do before anything ever hits the market, I don't think people understand how astounding it is. Yeah, well, you definitely hear people occasionally say, oh, it's just dirt. You know, it's just dirt in a bag of potting mix, but it couldn't be further from the truth. If you see, mm -hmm. if you've ever seen um, the, the list of testing that we do to manufacture a product to Australian standards, which is that AS3743, it's a full list of tests that we do, and we do that list of tests um, on every uh, every batch once a month. So every every batch, every new batch that we make once a month, we do the full suite of testing on it. And then for every batch that we release, uh, we do specific release testing. So mainly making sure it's the right pH, pH range, because we don't want it to be uh, too alkaline or too acidic because that's going to affect, obviously, nutrient uptake and things like that. Um, yeah. Also, we test... EC as well once a month, which is electrical conductivity. So that's go, that's an indicator for us to make sure we put the nutrients in that we wanted to, so we can actually tell if it's too low that we haven't put all the nutrients in that we wanted to. So that's a quality check for us. It also tells us that we've blended it consistently and we've got a nice um, a nice even mix as well. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of testing that goes on. We have a lab here in Quinana. We manufacture everything here in Quinana, uh, mm -hmm. where we've got quality assurance and quality control chemists working for us to ensure that consistency of supply. It's it's pretty amazing. And, and recently you've become a part of the Evergreen family. And, um, you know, Evergreen prides itself on these uh, amazing high quality products that I suppose predominantly in the beginning service the commercial industry. So commercial growers can't afford to fail. They have to have consistency all the way through. And then when there's that level of trust, the ability then to convert that into a product that a home gardener can use to get better results is an amazing opportunity. And there's no better example of that at the moment than what you guys have done with the ter the, the brand new range, um, the, ter the Turfect range. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we've just released a new range called Turfect. It's a new range for lawns, in particular lawn addicts, which is a bit of a craze um, that I'm sure we've seen sweeping social media. We're yep. sort of we're taking our fertilizers now to the next step. So this range is completely biologically enhanced. So there's beneficial biology in every product, yep. um, and that's where we're really focusing now. You know, back in the day, I think it was it was more around what's the best analysis we could get out of a product. Now, um, as we were saying before, we're looking at the soil science. How do we boost that soil microbiome so we get the maximum uptake? Of, of the nutrients that we're applying to the soil. We don't want them running off and getting wasted and ending up in our waterways. We want them in the plant doing their job. Yeah, and you know, when I was when I was a young bloke growing up in the industry, it was all about the agronomist's analysis of, of your soil and what you were lacking and what you needed to add. Um, what we didn't understand probably well enough then, or, or maybe we didn't uh, place enough importance on it, was that biome in the soil. And now we're talking about how do we get more of those beneficial microbes into the soil and how do we then use them to improve the uptake of maybe the existing mineral base as well as those additional supplementary minerals, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. So in this range, we have um, a product called BioWish, which is a range of proprietary fermented uh, bacillus. 
and they act in, a, in specific ways that are beneficial for our souls here in WA. So um, like you say, the existence, existing nutrient profile in the soil, it might not be actually available to the plant. It might be locked up because of certain factors. So there's a type of bacillus in there that makes nitrogen more plant available, makes phosphorus more plant available. And then there's other forms in there which help to improve the native microbiome. So the native uh, microbes in the soil, it helps to boost them um, to make the plant, uh, the soil and the plant overall more, more healthy, more drought resistant, build a, a develop a, a, a greater root structure. Um, yep. And as we know, if we've got a healthy root structure, we can absorb more nutrients, take up more water, access more of the good stuff. Yeah, and reduce the stress levels as well. Now, you know, it's it, there's a significant change in the way we're, we're thinking now. So once upon a time, it was about feeding the plant. This is very much about feeding the soil, providing the plant the best environment to grow in. So it's a pretty incredible thing where we're scrolling through, um, through I think it's your website, just sort of showing up some of those some of those images of some of the products you've developed. But um, for all of our friends, because there's, there's a lot of questions coming through um, across the country, um, being part of the Evergreen range, this is the great thing about Evergreen is that Evergreen's obviously taken an interest now in Baileys and this technology you're developing is technology that no doubt will start to see flow back through the Evergreen um, range of products, some of those ones that people know and trust as well, things like Osmocote and and uh, the, the like that have been such an uh, instrumental part of, of uh, the, I suppose, the whole gardening market for, for well over 50 or 60 years. This, this technology is a whole new way of thinking and it's really Evergreen and Bailey's leading the way um, that's going to change the way we think about things. Yeah, I think, like we were saying before, it, um, microbes are sort of the new frontier of fertilisers for us. So, you know, if, if you look back over the history of our product range, we would have... You know, initially, like you were saying before, you know, Dad would have rolled up with a with a load of superphosphate on the back of his truck. He would have had those straight fertilizers, and then, um, as as it, as the industry developed, you know, start, we started to develop blends, and we developed blends specific to certain applications. So back in those days, for instance, there was nothing on the market for turf, and so we started developing products like Brilliance and Three One One. Then we got into granulation when we realised that we needed to have uniformity in the product, so every prill that was being applied, no matter where it fell, it had the same analysis and that would give us consist that consistency that you want to see, you know, in your lawn um, where, it's, mm. where it's nice and even and you don't have any surge growth and things like that. Yep. And then, um, you know, the industry developed and we got into things like controlled release. Um, I think this is when, you know, we really started to shift and look more at the environment and, okay, we, we knew there was issues like runoff and things like that. Uh, what can we do to make sure, like we we're saying, that we're we're optimizing that nutrient uptake? So then, products like controlled release and slow release started coming into the market, and now we're at this this new stage where um, it's biologicals and the amazing world of biologicals and everything that you can do with them to not only obviously um, feed the plant but also feed the soil um, and improve the quality of topsoil um, overall. It's pretty exciting, Jen. This is um, wonderful innovation. I really appreciate you joining us today. If people want to go and see these products for themselves in situ in a store, where's the best place to go? So the best place to go is your local Bunnings. Uh, the full Turfic range is stocked there, but also, you know, your local independent, um, most of them carry a range of our products as well. So. Right. 
That's awesome. Well, look, it's uh, it's a big step forward, and uh, it's wonderful having you join us because, as I said, um, we've got a, a wonderful history there. It goes back um, goes back generations um, into your family and, uh, and and into mine. So it's lovely to be able to um, to chat to you today. And please give my regards to to your dad, Kim. I definitely will. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Good to see you. All right, take care. That's just fantastic, Jen's. Um, you know, it's just wonderful. So refreshing to see. Uh, another generation coming through uh, a wonderful what was a family business that's now become part of a, a bigger network as part of the evergreen network that's the love the love your garden uh, love the garden um, group that that supports us and um, and we're so pleased to be able to um, constantly show where technology is going this isn't about selling you something new this is about showing you ways to be more successful and, and at the same time, being more environmentally friendly as you, as you go along. Now, today's show has absolutely flown, so I'm going to have to go through my plants of the week pretty quickly. Um, I just want to show you this. You will look at this and you'll probably say, look, that's really nothing that exciting. And even um, during the day, I've just literally lopped a branch off. Um, during the day, uh, this is probably not an awful lot. It's a shrub that gets to about... Um, or three metres, probably the biggest one in my garden. I have it strategically placed near the deck area where I spend a lot of time outdoors with my family. And the reason I love this, this is called Cestrum Nocturnum. It's the night flowering jasmine. And these little inconspicuous flowers that I'm showing you right here, um, they don't really look like much, but boy, oh boy, do they pack a punch when it comes to fragrance. The perfume from these at night is just mind blowing. And so I wanted to recommend that you keep your eye out for this in your local garden center. You'll find it, it's, it'll be sitting in the shrub section. It, as I said, it won't look like anything until you plant it, until it flowers. And then you'll just be blown away. Cestrum nocturnum, the night flowering jasmine, beautiful shrub in my garden that's just hitting its straps at the moment. And folks, I wanted to ask you about these. Have you got these growing at home? I've got, uh, I've got a heap of grapes. This is a um, one of those flame seedless varieties. This is one of the experimental varieties. It is so sweet, no seeds, absolutely beautiful. Are you growing grapes at home? How are they going? Now they are obviously hitting their straps here um, in, uh, in my garden. I'm sure they're probably producing fruit in yours. Grapes tend to have quite a few problems and I've certainly got my fair share with these guys. So. I've had a bit of powdery mildew on them. Um, I've had a bit of botrytis because I had so many grapes that I didn't thin them out early enough. So I had some that kind of went off. But um, for my family, uh, we're able to, off the pergola that we've got, able to produce a huge um, amount of fruit, more than we can, can eat and consume. And it's one of the highlights of the late summer, early autumn in my backyard. Have you got them? Are you growing some? What's the what's your favourite variety? This is the sort of stuff you should be sharing with us. Make sure you do. The easiest way to do it is, of course, to put in a little mention here on our Facebook page or even send us a photograph and just um, send it through uh, via our messenger. Have you been watching the beginning of the series? We've had episode two. You would have seen a new face this, this last week. Um, we introduced some old and new faces to the team. It's been great to expand our community of communicators who share great gardening advice. Here's a sneak peek of what's coming up. Now, applying fertilizers 
at this stage will ensure that they continue to grow and be strong and healthy. Scarifying rake is just the tool for the job. It's got very strong steel tines and they're curved and there's a hook at the end. Here are my three tips so we can attract honeybirds and honeybees into the garden. Celebrating 20 years, I can't believe it. Episode three is coming up this weekend on Channel 9. It's 4.30 across the country. Um, keep your eye out for it. And of course, there will be repeats on Nine Life and you can watch it whenever you want on ninenow.com.au. If you missed last week's show or even the week before, that's the best way for you to be able to catch up with those past episodes. And thank you so much for your support over the 20 years. It's, it's so appreciated. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get through a few more questions. We have been jam-packed full of information. I'd love to hear what you think about the program today. If you've got some thoughts, um, Share them with us, uh, good or bad, it's okay. We're trying to shape this to deliver all the information you want to, to know and to hear and to see and to learn. Now, Irene is in Adelaide. She sent us a photograph. Nobody seems to know why this is happening. So I've decided to ask your expert advice. Thanks, Irene, no pressure on me here. I planted a Hebe emerald green. I've lost five so far. Two more are looking like they're also dying. Is it the soil? Um, you said it's all new soil. It's got a lot of nutrients in there. You mulched it with hooflung dung. I'm not sure what that is, but I'm, assure, I'm assuming it's some kind of manure-based fertiliser. And my other new plants are all thriving. The only ones that are suffering are the hebes. Can you tell me why? Let's have a look at this photograph. It might help us. And, and I can tell you what it is straight away. Okay, so you, you've got a bit of a... You've got a, it's a, probably a twofold thing that's going on here. So there's a bit of stress on them for a start. Um, hot, dry conditions, not unusual. But this dying off bit is being caused by a collar rot. Basically, it's a, a fungal infection at the very base of the stems, and it's literally going to kill off the plant in patches. And the only way to treat it is a product out there called Yates Anti-Rot. You can buy it, mix it up in a watering can, which is why, the way I treat these guys, and drench it because you want the whole plant and the roots completely drenched. Um, hebes are a little bit susceptible to that and it's got something to do with heat stress in our environment. Um, most hebes uh, will grow really well in places like New Zealand, but when, uh, when we're here, if you're in, say, Victoria, they'll be fine, Tasmania, they'll be fine, WA, Adelaide, um, New South Wales, same kind of problem. And it's really got to do with the stress and then this, this what is appears to be a fungal infection gets in and knocks them for six. So, yeah, I'd hit them with a the fungicide. I'd probably leave it for a week and then apply a wetting agent. The soil does actually look like it's wet and you've mulched it, so you've done all the right things. Hopefully that helps. But sometimes there are some plants that are just not really meant to be growing in our environment. I'm afraid those hebes are probably it when it comes to yours. Hannah is in southeast Victoria, and again, um, video, photo, oh, video and photo attached. My Simbidium orchid has yellow 
and brown on the tips. It's outside in a south-facing position. Please help. Let's have a look at it. Hmm. Okay, so you've got a bit of sphagnum moss around the top. And there's the video. And look, you know what? I reckon you can see the new growth coming out um, off to one side there. I actually think that your plant is growing out of that damage. That damage you're looking at is on the old leaves. So I think you've got it all right. I don't think you're doing anything wrong there, Hannah. South-facing position is perfect for cymbidiums. In fact, folks, I'm going to tell everybody that you should take your cymbidium orchids out of the shade at the moment, put them on a south-facing aspect of your house because that will trigger all the flower shoots that you're looking for for the winter when they'll come out in masses of flower. And feeding them right now is a really good way to get them going as well. So, Hannah, maybe a little bit of liquid fertiliser, um, organic fertiliser or a controlled release for promoting flowers. That's my suggestion for you. I think that's going to help. Uh, let's go back to Adelaide. Ali is in Port Lincoln in South Australia. Again, another photo. This is great. Thanks so much for sending the photos in. It really does help. I want to share these with you. Could you please provide me information relating to them? Let's have a look. And there's Ali's photos there. Okay, so we've got some beautiful cactus. Um, Ellie, the, these are spectacular. When you sent this through, I was kind of like, wow, how amazing are they? And this is, um, this is something that probably in Port Lincoln is perfect. Um, hot, dry conditions. Um, they are, they're absolutely gorgeous. You see the night flowering there. I, I remember looking at that and going, wow. They flower at night because the, um, they're actually, the flowers are pollinated by a moth, believe it or not, in their native environment. So um, seeing the flowers still open during the day is a little bit on the unusual side. I think you're just bragging because I can't see anything. There's nothing wrong with them. They're spectacular. And, um, and I think that uh, you're probably fine now that if you wanted to grow some more, you can take cuttings off one or two of those major stems and you can literally cut them into foot long cuttings, sit them, leave them to dry overnight, then plant them out and they'll take off and produce new plants. They are absolutely fabulous. Thanks for sending that in. That's great. Um, I'm going to have to wrap it up, I'm afraid. We just crossed our time zone. Uh, we need to uh, go back to work and do all the things that we do during the week, including filming the Garden Gurus. I'm very sorry if we didn't get to your question today. There's been a lot of questions tried to get through as many as we can, but we will do our very best to answer them in the next week or so. So next week, I'll, I'll ask Robin kindly, because I know Robin's mum's tuned in. Um, I'll ask Robin kindly to make sure she allows us to answer more questions and then her mum can ask questions. In fact, Jimmy's mum can ask questions as well. They're both welcome to do that, as long as well as you and your mum as well. Thank you for joining us. Um, for those people who've won Packet Seeds, Robin will send you through um, a note after the show. Um, I'm going to be back on Monday next week for another session of The Garden Gurus Live. It's 12pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9am for WA viewers. Uh, don't forget, get your video submissions in. We love those videos. It's great. Send them in. Get them in by this Wednesday, though, if you could. So get the get the phone out and go and have a bit of a walk around and video the things that you've got questions about. We'll choose two this week. Remember, state your name, state and suburb, and, of course, the question that you've got. And remember, if you've got any questions at all, in fact, if you want to do some research, jump on our website. You can also catch up on previous stories in The Garden Gurus at thegardengurus.tv or our YouTube channel, which is thegardengurus.tv. And if you want to listen back to today's live stream, all you have to do is head to Spotify, Apple Podcast or Audible, and you can actually listen to this when you want, as you want. It is fantastic. 
please don't forget, join us this Saturday at 4.30pm local time to catch episode three, The Garden Gurus. In our 20th year, it's our autumn series. Make sure you check it out. I'm Trevor Cochran, and thanks, Jimmy and Robin, for your contribution again today. Happy gardening, everybody. Have a great week. The Garden Gurus is back with a brand new season this weekend. Make sure to check out your local TV guide for your times.